Please. This is our podcast about politics, culture, and Christianity, and everything in between. And we are joined by a very special guest, one Neil Chilson, new author, my work colleague, our friend, a computer scientist, a lawyer, a homes- former homeschooler, an upstate New Yorker, uh, one of five siblings that's right oldest of five yes oldest of five siblings uh impressive career right impressive career uh neil is currently the uh, senior fellow at the charles Koch institute and stand together on issues of technology and innovation we work together on those topics he's the former acting chief technologist at the federal trade commission he was an attorney advisor is that the correct title that is indeed. for uh, Commissioner Olhausen and Acting Chairman Olhausen at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, worked at a law firm, and I mean, we can keep going, but <laughs> and your fly fishing buddy and a fly fishing, yeah, of absolutely, course. He's a fly fisherman too. Holy cow! So we have Neil here for all those reasons and more, but especially because he wrote a brand new book, hot off the press. Get it online on Amazon. I'm sure other outlets sell it too. It's called Getting Out of Control, Emergent Leadership in a Complex World. Neil Chilson. Welcome, Neil. Thank you for being on. Um, The first question we have for you is why this book? Why did you spend a big chunk of your life writing about this topic? So, I actually was asked by a, a professor at George Mason University uh, over a dinner, like what book captures your mindset, your, your uh, philosophy of life. And I was like, I, I mean, it's probably like some combination of a lot of different books. I don't know. I I don't want to limit myself to just one book. And he's like, well, you know, uh, judging from like what I've heard from you, you should like put that all in one place. And so that other people Hmm. can read it. Cause I think that, I, I think that would be interesting. I was like, oh, that's such a nice thing for him to say. (laughs) Um, but I wasn't really, I didn't really take it that seriously. Uh, but it turned out that one of my friends from law school runs this course that's at Georgetown, but it's now, it's, it's very widely available. Um, uh, it's, it's called the creators Institute and, uh, it's basically a course that teaches you how to write a book and it's aimed at a very specific type of book. Uh, the Adam, you know, the kind of Adam Grant, Tim Ferriss, uh, Mm. pop pop nonfiction, I would say, you know, the airport book. Uh, it's like, what self-help is that, is like that too pejorative? To. Uh, I think, I think p- people who write self-help, they call it uh, self-development, ah, uh, oh, but um, I, I wouldn't say Adam Grant is exactly self-help. I mean, this is like Malcolm Gladwell. It's also like Dan Pink, oh, you know, okay, like, sure. the, like people who like dive pop deep into some topic. Yeah. Pop. Yeah. All of those things. So it's like, uh, and they're very, they do have a formula when you look at them and, and, and uh, Eric has broken that down. You know, it's not the same formula, but there is a pattern, right? It's, it's very interview driven. It's very, Hmm. uh, you know, you do interviews, you do stories, you do some personal reflection, you do some facts and research and kind of tie those all together in a, in a, in a chapter. And so they have a program that teaches you essentially how to write that kind of book. And, Uh, okay. Uh, so anyway, so that, that happened to be kicking off like right around the same time this professor told me that. And I was like, well, I've been wanting to write about emergent order for a long time because as, the, uh, as I, I think the introduction explains, that is that idea, um, I think it used to kind of be called 
complexity theory or chaos theory. Um, uh, there's a book by James Clake called Chaos that I read when I was a teenager. I didn't understand a big chunk of it, but really loved. And that got me into computers. That got me into, um, I was hmm. really interested in computers because of that. Hmm. And I didn't really, but I didn't really think about how it would apply to like the broader world until I was at the Federal Trade Commission, honestly. And I was thinking about like, how do I make good decisions with limited information where I'm making decisions that affect other people's lives, like in a real way. Yeah. So that's why this book, uh, a lot of those ideas have been jumbling around in my head literally since I was like 12 or 13 years old. And I started to see the patterns over time as I moved through different phases of my life. And this kicked off during the, um, right at the very start of COVID, this class uh, kicked yeah. off. So this is very much a COVID project. And, and you and your wife had just had a baby. <laughs> yeah, we had. So, yeah. so there was a lot going on that was, um, uh, and I'd, I'd like to talk about that a little bit more because it was, huh. yeah, maybe if we get to like the more, the personal parts yes. of the book that yes. are more personal application, I'll tell you a story around, around that and the, the writing of the book. But, but that's a, that's the big reason. Uh, a lot of these ideas are rattling around and, it was just, I seized the opportunity and um, the class was very helpful. And then, you know, work was very supportive of me, not just using the time sort of mm. in, as a side project, but very much incorporating it into what we're doing. And so that, uh, that that's when it got scary. And I was like, oh, I actually have to write something good now. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that's huh. why. I mean, it, it really, it has a bit of everything, as I've told people. I'm proud to have the first Goodreads review of Neil's book. Uh, it really yes. does have every, it's, there's philosophy, there's economics, there's public policy, there's science, there's religion, there's fishing, there's drumming. <laughs> yeah. There's, uh, and it kind of just reminds me of you, like your diverse interests and in, like how you've woven everything together. Maybe define some terms sure. for folks, like emergent order. Uh, and then even like, what is the, what does the federal trade commission do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so emergent order is the idea that you can have patterns, um, and productive systems that nobody designed to start and mm -hmm. nobody controls, no individual controls. And so often we talk about, um, you know, cities, but like in nature, there's tons of these like ant hills or beehives where, there's relatively simple rules that the units are following the, huh. the units being the bee or the ant, right. But the overall behavior of the hive or the ant hill is extremely complex, huh. um, almost mathematically, um, precise in some of the, the, the patterns that come out of it. Hmm. Um, and it's not because it's not that not. So I think as, um, Kevin Kelly has a book actually called Out of Control, which I discovered about halfway through writing this book, uh, <laughs> but it's from the 1980s. And it, it's, okay. it's very much more of the science ah, okay. side of this. So, uh, so I felt like it was okay to call my book Getting Out of Control. Um, right, right. Uh, uh, but his book is great. I highly recommend it. But he says you could examine a bee. You could mm -hmm. understand everything about a bee and you still wouldn't understand the hive uh, because there is something that happens from the interactions between the bees that is bigger than any one bee. And so huh. that's the idea of emergent order um, is that there can be, there can be order at the system level that isn't 
within any unit within that system. It's something that's between or created by the system. One of the one of the examples I use, maybe this makes it much more concrete for people, is um, the wave at a sporting game. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's uh, in the book sporting too, game. Yeah. A, sporting, sporting game. I'm clearly a jock. Uh, <laughs> we work in public policy <laughs> <laughs> at a at a sporting event. Oh, there we go. Uh, baseball game. Um, you know, there might be some people who sort of instigate the wave. Uh-huh. But but once it gets going, you can see the pattern, but uh-huh. nobody really controls it. And in fact, it it can collapse or amplify like uh, just quite suddenly without anybody really calling for it to stop. Um, and that is a great example of emergent order. Everybody's following these really simple rules that are basically like, if I feel like it, stand up when people right. next to me stand up. And uh, and that somehow creates, uh, you know, a, a much a more complex uh, thing than any one person standing up. So, I think that's a great example of emergent order. Okay. I mean, so, is is emergent order? Does it affect? Are we living in a world that's like a hundred percent emergent order, or is there order that is maybe what's the opposite of emergent order? <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. So, I would say there's there's two things that are not emergent order. I wouldn't say that either one of them is the opposite of emergent order. Okay. Um, there's chaos. Uh, chaos is just randomness, right? So like Brownian motion in like, which is like, you know, how air molecules bounce off of each other, uh, to pass heat, right? Like that's that's called Brownian motion. I don't know why exactly there's like, there's a statistical thing about it. Not like a baked good in motion. (laughs) Not a brownie in motion, right? No, that's That's that sounds delicious. Um, I was with you. Brownian, I Brownian think, uh, like, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I A N okay. on the end of brown. Okay. So, um, and that's chaos. Uh, I, I, I don't want to get to yes ish, <laughs> right? Um, right. Uh, okay. But chaos is chaos is completely unpredictable. So there's not a pattern. Mm. Uh, it's unordered. Okay. Um, uh, and then there is designed order. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and there's even things like in physics, like, you know, Newton's three laws of motion, like those are clear rules, right? Like they're very predictable. If you know the inputs, um, you know the outputs. Uh, and so it's it's what I would say is a, a non-dynamic system, or you might say a linear system, or there's lots of other mathematical terms. And there's lots of different categories of those. And and at the edges between these things, it can be hard to say whether it's complex or complicated. Um, uh, one of the examples ooh. I use in the book is uh, between those two is, you know, an automobile engine is complicated, okay. but if you take apart an automobile uh, to its very, you know, elementary pieces and mm-hmm. you understand what each of the pieces do, mm-hmm. you can totally predict what the full thing will do when you put okay. it together. A complex system, even if you, like I said, with the, with the beehive, even if you understood the individual pieces, when you put them together, you're not quite sure what's going to happen. You can't predict it. And, and then chaos, like in some ways, chaos is, this sounds a little weird. It's a little more predictable than complexity, because if you put it together, you know, it's just going to be unpredictable. Right. So whereas a complex system could actually have patterns and and order that happens. Um, And Complex systems tend to sit right at that edge between order, like predictable mm. things and total chaos that's unpredictable. And so 
often, you know, often we spend a lot of time, the most productive complex systems are right there, just right on that edge of, mm. of chaos. Oh, interesting. So how Neil, um, you alluded a little bit to, you had a personal life story, but how, how do you apply this concept? What does that look like? Yeah. So, um, so the book has six principles for leaders and, uh, you know, I, I try to give examples of how you might apply them in the policy space, but then also as a, a leader in your community, but, and, and particularly how you might apply them to building habits in your own life. And I would say the main, uh, the three t- key takeaways that I, I would offer, uh, particularly for individual life is, you know, be be humble about what you think you can control, uh, because for most things we don't we don't we control we actually control very little. We influence a lot, yeah. but we control very little. Yeah. And so being humble about like what you can control, uh, and focusing on actually doing that well. So, hmm. um, you know, the Stoics would say you can really only control your reactions to things. You can only control your your thoughts. Um, and often you can't even perfectly control your thoughts, but you can control what you do with your thoughts. And so, uh, and so, um, that's often our biggest lever for changing the world, uh, is, is getting better at, um, controlling the things that we can control. That's our first lever anyways. Um, uh, and so, uh, being humble about what we can achieve being incremental and also um, thinking about things as processes rather than objects, I think mm. is really, really helpful. And let me explain yeah. that a little bit. Yeah, um, I think it's easy for us to look at physical objects like, you know, this glass or whatever and be like, you know, this is a glass, um, but this was not always a glass. It was something else before and it will be something else in the future. Um, and certainly the water that's in it right now that I'm drinking becomes part of me, mm-hmm. but it won't always be, right? So if we think of things as a process, not just physical things, but also our, um, our habits and mm-hmm. our routines, uh, rather than you know setting a New Year's goal to achieve X state, if we think about how do we improve the process that would get us to that state, mm-hmm. that is um, often a much more durable type of change. Um, because when you set a process up that works, it it has a feedback loop that keeps it going. Whereas if you're just aiming for a state, often hmm. often if you fail, you're like, well, I'm done, right? Like I didn't achieve that state, so I failed. It's ah, a very binary thing. Whereas a process can always get better and and also can decay. And so you do need to do some maintenance on it. So um, so would that be like structuring, say, a news resolution? Like, I want to work out three times a week, but then, oh, I missed one. Like, oh, and then I get discouraged and quit. And is that is that viewing things as like a, an object, whereas maybe a, a process would be I want to improve my fitness? Or... Yes. Yeah, I think so. Um, uh, maybe a I process might be, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so there's a great book called Atomic Habits that talks a, a lot about some of these uh, these things. But I think Rachel's read that. A process yeah. would be things like looking at um, what the triggers might be to generate the action that you want, right? So if Got you it. think about it, but but for me, the, the key takeaway is there's a lot of tricks like this. And I, tricks kind of minimizes them. I think they're strategies. But 
Um, for me, the key takeaway from that is if I fail, I should think of it as I didn't get the process perfect, but I can huh. continue to try. So like right. you know, progress, not perfection. That's yeah. I think I, I, think I know that quote from um, uh, this Denzel Washington movie uh, where I can't remember what it's called. Why can't I? The, the Equalizer. The Equalizer. It's, it's quite violent film, but I, but I like it quite a lot. Um, uh, inspirational quotes. It's, it's inspirational quotes. Uh, he says, progress, not perfection. Huh. Um, but the, the flip of that is if I really do nail the process one day, um, I shouldn't get too comfortable. Like I haven't achieved. Uh, like Interesting. Sure. We should think about it as the process. And I, I can say like, hey, that was great. I'm so glad I did that. But tomorrow's another day. I'm still going to have to do the process. I haven't achieved it. And I think right. often, like, especially like New Year's resolutions, if you have a target, like go- weight, like, yeah, if you're dedicated, you could probably hit that weight, but then what? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, are you just going to go back to what you were doing before? Well, you're probably not going to stay at that weight. So, uh, so thinking about the process, I think is really important. So those are just some of the ways I would apply it to personal life. We can talk about policy stuff. And I, I kind of skipped over like describing what the FTC is, but, um, oh, yeah. but yeah, yeah, commission is yeah. probably a good Wikipedia page about it, but there is, yes. Reach out to Neil on Twitter. He's a great <laughs> Twitter. Uh, he's, he'll fill you in. Uh, I mean, yeah. So what you just explained, I think is the dimensions of your book. There's that, you know, viewing maybe personal habits as a emergent order. Uh, but then there's maybe like the, you zoom out, now and i know like in your commentary the interviews you're doing like the world is full of like attempts to control yeah <laughs> stuff like certainly in the political sense maybe this it's like policy maybe briefly maybe just talk about what it looks like in that you know zoom way out and yeah how we're like there's a sense of unease and like people say how oh, we just need to control this but is that the answer you would provide yeah so i i do think it's there's lots of ways in which the world has become more complex than it mm. ever was before. We certainly, as far as the amount of information that we are exposed yeah. to, yeah. Uh, it's radically different than it was, you know, 200 years ago for sure, uh, probably even than 20 years ago. And so we're inundated with so much more information, and we're hearing about terrible things that are happening in other places. Sometimes good things, but mostly terrible things because those are the ones that travel fast. Right. Um, and so it can really feel overwhelming as an individual, like I'm connected somehow to all these things, at least by information, mm-hmm. but I can't do anything about them. And so we really, I, th- I think we really feel internally quite out of control or we feel like, what can I do about that thing? I don't know. Um, and I think that that kind of prompts something that's very deep in human nature to put somebody in charge. Yeah. I mean, sometimes, sometimes we try to seize control ourselves if it's something kind of in our local environment, but often we think, well, if we just put somebody in charge of it, then, then we'll, they'll have a chance to solve the problem. Right. But for, for complex systems, um, like many of the social problems that we deal with, it's, Putting somebody in a charge actually doesn't solve it. And in fact, right. the only way that somebody who uh, is in control can really start to tackle some of these things is by often turning what is a complex system that serves a lot of purposes into a, a simple system that really only serves 
the purpose that they're trying to achieve. And I, I talk about an example from you know ancient German forestry where they just wanted to up the lumber yield. Hmm. And so they basically replanted all the forest into these nice, beautiful rows of all the same trees, which did up the lumber German yield forest. in the short term. Yeah, exactly. yeah, it was very German, right? Like <laughs> very precise. It's beautiful. It's very aesthetically pleasing. Uh, and they did get more lumber out of it in the short term, but in the long term, it, they essentially turned what was a complex system into a monoculture. Huh. So it was very vulnerable to disease. The soil got depleted. Huh. All the other uses that people had for the forest, like gathering like firewood, you know, the peasants did and or hunting, those were like really undermined. And so um, uh, that's just an example of like when you when you try to seize control of this complex system, often often you just fail flat out. But if you do succeed uh, on your own metrics, it often means that you've transformed it into something that's much simpler and serves uh, much fewer purposes and often is much less robust. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's really helpful. Well, Neil, as you're talking about this, um, we're going to transition to asking what should Christians think about this? This is something we often ask on this podcast about these issues. And, you know, I'm hearing you and I say like, oh yeah, this kind of fits with Christian theology of we humans actually aren't in control. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So in in that way it fits, but then in the other way you think, oh, this emergent order theory, how does that align with the other theological idea that there's an all, all knowing, all powerful in control God. Yeah. So how I'd love to get your thoughts on how you square those and what you think about it. Yeah. So, um, it's a really interesting question. And I actually have a caveat in one part of the books. You know, I, I talk about um, where did emergent order come from, the, the, the term. And I, I, mm-hmm. I run through this sort of economic um, ancestry of the term where it is typically called spontaneous order. But then I also run through the biological where it's called evolution, right? And mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I grew mm-hmm. up, uh, my parents were very much like, you know, Evolution, whatever. That seems really like, yeah, probably, you know, why, why do you need something complicated to explain something, you know, God just designed all this. Right. Right. Um, and so in that section, I, I have this caveat that says, you know, I, I think there's probably people in my family who are like, like saying like, why does Neil say all this stuff? I don't get it. Um, <laughs> have they told you that since the book came out? No, actually I, I had a long conversation with my dad and it wasn't really about this. And I, I, you know, it wasn't really about that part of okay, the book, okay. but, uh, I didn't get a ton of pushback on it. Um, uh, maybe they've just given up on me on that. Uh, but, <laughs> um, but huh. you know, so when I think about it, though, um, it's and I, I'll, I'll, I'll do this is I'm kind of doing this on the fly because I haven't all the way thought this out. But um, that's why we're here. We are kind too. of the way I square it. Uh, the way I square it personally is. Uh, it is very compatible with the idea that we as individuals are not in control. And I think yeah. that that probably resonates with, uh, with Christians a lot. Um, and I, but I still think it is compatible with there being an all powerful God too, because when I think about God, I often think people often think of him as like the watchmaker God, like of Newton right. or, or the uh, sort of constantly intervening God who's like watching and I think of when you think of God as outside of time, this is very helpful to me. And I, I feel like I stole this from C.S. Lewis, but I haven't really been able to nail down where. <laughs> um, if you think of him as outside of time, then the whole debate around like 
uh, do we have free will just disappears because huh. he's outside of time. So to him, like it's all happening at once and that's right. not even accurate, right? right? Like, right. and so it's, <laughs> right. that's not even accurate. So, so when I think of God, I think of him as an artist who is creating something that's really complex and beautiful. And yeah, yeah. And to me, complex order is a great example of that. And, and mm. I remember when I was a kid taking like these simple equations and because you would just take the output and feed it back in over and over and over, you would get, it would be a, such a simple equation. You would get these beautiful patterns. <laughs> and I was like, that's amazing, right? Like I'm not, once I start that going, I don't have to do anything, but it gets so complicated and interesting. And, and that sounds a little watchmaker like Newton, um, but it's, but, hmm. but it's like more, it's, it's more dynamic. So I, I, I wouldn't say that, you know, God's outside of time. Mm-hmm. So I think he could create these things and still be pleased with. Yes. And maybe mm-hmm. I, surprised isn't quite the right word, but like sort of take joy in the fact that these things are uh, yeah. their own things and, yeah. and they yeah. are, they are, they are acting on their own principles and yet they're still serving his will, uh, mm-hmm. that the, uh, the emergent order overall. And so that's sort of how I square it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's really, beautiful. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it reminds me of, uh, like the Genesis account, you know, the earth was, is form is formless and yeah. void. Yeah. And then your, you know, principle number one, expect complicated results, even from simple actions and mm-hmm. like talking about, you know, the simple rules at the base level resulting in complex systems yeah it's kind of what like you know if you think of physics laws of nature that were created uh you know they can be they're complex in a way but also simple and then this complex world comes out of it you know biological yeah. systems ecosystems ecologies mm-hmm. yeah um, you know geology etc cetera, etc cetera. so that's that's really good neil and i think this aspect of joy being in it too of uh, God being pleased at what's happening. So we should probably transition. Yes. <laughs> we could talk about this for a long time. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, well, we'll transition to our stinkers and thinkers segment. Welcome Neil to the fun part of the podcast. <laughs> I think it's been pretty fun so far. Yeah, so, was, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so stinkers and thinkers ah. are media we consumed recently that you loved and that you hated. So yeah, anything. So Neil, what was your stinker recently? So I've been watching, uh, Marisa had, had started watching, uh, the series manifest on Netflix, which is about this plane that, uh, I think disappears for like six years or something. And then it comes back and, you know, we've watched the whole thing, but it's just terrible. Like, <laughs> uh, the acting isn't great. The story is like, why would these people do this? Uh, you know, it creates, I mean, <laughs> Obviously, it creates lots of dramatic opportunities when you basically have families that were separated for six years and that some of them moved on. The other ones, no time passed at all. But it's like over and over. It's like the same. Anyways, it's terrible. Um, it has a little element of it, like it kind of wants to be X-Files or that that show. Actually, probably it's most similar to Fringe, which I don't know oh, if yeah. you guys know of. I see. Yeah, that got that was dumb. But uh, <laughs> but it's it's worse than Fringe. Fringe was like at least, you know had like a complicated world there whereas this you're still like the government's somehow involved and they're bad guys but then also i don't know it seems supernatural too it's it's whatever it's dumb 
Oh no, Neil, this is bad because that was my thinker. <laughs> oh, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> Rachel's been watching it every night. <laughs> I, I have not finished it, so I will caveat. I don't know how it like wraps up. But it doesn't get any better. It doesn't get any better. <laughs> I will say it doesn't look good. I have been enjoying it. It reminds me of Lost. So why is it your thinker? <laughs> What's so great about All it? All right, I will counter. It reminds me of Lost. Yeah, I sure. like it. It like has you on the edge of your seat. Like, what is happening? Is this paranormal or is this some weird government experiment? Yeah. And I got to know what happens. <laughs> I mean, we're watching it, so I, I obviously don't hate it, but it's like, but it stinks. It could be better, right? Like. <laughs> It maybe it's like stinky cheese. Well, like maybe we'll go there. Like I like like a or not like, good blue cheese. Where you're like this stinks, but I'm still probably gonna eat it. I will give you it's B-list actors for yeah. sure. The acting is not strong. Um, like Seven Eleven pizza, like it's still pizza, but it's not great. Yeah, right. You're like actually that's a good analogy because if I was watching it at like three a.m. after the bars, I'd be like, man, this movie is amazing. This show is amazing, but like. Seven Eleven Yeah, okay. I'll have you know I'm gonna go watch the next episode when we're done recording. Good, good. I'm gonna go watch uh, uh, an episode of Kingdom probably, which is outstanding. Oh, is that it's, a, it's a Chinese. It is not actually, oh. um, but it's the Chinese. Uh, it's like a Chinese zombie oh. show. Uh, actually, it must be Korean. It's Korean. Yes. Okay. Okay. It's very good. It's kind of takes place in you know samurai times, so oh. it's very good. Hmm. Fascinating. Uh, I Taylor, guess I what's your stinker? On. My stinker. What was my stinker? Oh, <laughs> Squid Games. Oh, yeah. I Well, I, I was like, oh, I'm going to watch my show and then turn it on. And it's like, you know, the top it was rated for like violence, yeah. nudity, gore, sex, <laughs> language. And they just was like, nope, never mind. You know, call me a call me a prude. Is that right. right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just noped out of that night it's like when there's more than one thing <laughs> yeah uh but it was it's like the best yeah. it's like the most popular show netflix has ever produced or it's like Stratagery. on track to be that stratechery had a whole article on it yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah and it, I, it's very compelling i mean it I, it keeps getting flagged to me um but like i'm missing other netflix things like i like i saw some like craze of like people dressing in like some weird like orange jumpers with like uh, some sort of like Salvador Dali mask on. Apparently that's a whole series. It has like three seasons on Netflix, which I was like, I'd never heard of it. Wow. Anyways, so much content. Uh, My thinker is um, Canon in D by Paco Bell. And that's because uh, it's been playing on, on like lullabies and Alice is, Alice is constantly asking what songs are named and uh, often she'll be like, what's this one called? And I told her Canon and D. And now she asks for Canon and D, which wow. makes my daughter sound super fancy. <laughs> so I like that. Um, but also, I, it reminded me as I was hearing it that I used to listen to that song on repeat in law school constantly because wow. it's so... Uh, I know people associate it. And this, this gets back to like the what we were talking about uh, at the very beginning. <laughs> people associate it with weddings, right? Yes, yes, um, yes, yes. yes. Uh, with a wedding march. But it is... Like mathematically, it's a very interesting song. There's all these layers of there's all these Ooh. layers of uh, patterns over top of each other, and they sort of switch back and forth. Hmm. And it's uh, I just love that song, and uh, I've been listening to it a lot again. And I probably, I, I mean, I'm sure I could pull up. Well, I didn't have Spotify in law school. So your, I don't know how I would get the count, but yeah. What, what the piano only the strings? Like, what's your favorite? 
Well, the problem with Amazon streaming audio, which is where we tend uh -huh. to listen to, is that it'll just throw up some random one. Um, I assume whichever one they got recorded for the cheapest. Um, it's the guy on a recorder. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I like the piano the best, uh, just a pure piano. I like right. those ones the best, um, but they're all pretty good. Paco Bell's Canon, not yeah. Taco Bell's Canon. No, no, no. Paco Bell's. Paco Bell's. Yeah, Paco Bell's. It's Rachel? pretty good. So, Well, I already talked about my thinker. <laughs> <laughs> my stinker, though, I didn't even get through it. I've talked about before. Love the Royals, especially the British Royals. And I huh. thought, like, oh, a Diana the Musical. This could be good. <laughs> you did? No, no, it is. It even for me, <laughs> I could not get through it. <laughs> it's just, I mean, the music is pretty bad. I can't believe it's you bad. thought that would be like anywhere near enjoyable. What <laughs> about the Royals? <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> It, it was bad don't, for me that would be it. good that 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 alone would be enough for me to stay away but um <laughs> and then add on musical although i gotta say my wife has gotten me into i'm, I'm a big fan of sondheim now just because he's so weird and his music is funny oh his lyrics are very funny very clever into the woods is a great is like uh -huh. lyrically uh, very clever mm -hmm. so that's sondheim okay yeah amazing uh my thinker is the I don't know what it, what do you call him? Musician, internet artist, Lou Balin, L-U-B-A-L-I-N. He's done like this series of songs, just taking like internet comment threads and putting them oh, in music. Yeah. Uh, specifically the She Stole My Broccoli Casserole recipe. Uh, I'll just, you know, it's, you know, you have probably viewed those YouTubes, right? Where it's, yeah. like, I just need to smile right now. And it's one of those for me. And Came out in January, and I think about it every once in a while. <laughs> it just pops into your head. Yeah, yeah. That's I got funny. into a fight on Twitter about broccoli today, so that's great. That's very appropriate. <laughs> you should link to it. Yeah, link yeah, it's yeah. About, so yeah. Lou, in Lou the show Ballin, notes. Yeah, Lou Ballin is. Oh gosh. Uh, yeah, check him out. Well, check Neil, this out. has been great. So much fun. Everyone, buy Neil's book. It's, mm -hmm. It has something for you, no matter your interests, and there are practical tips to take away. So, thanks for joining us, Neil. Yeah, absolutely. And how can I get people to listen to your podcast? Oh. Where would I send them? Share it on your prolific, uh, the Apple podcast link on your prolific Twitter feed. Okay, I will. Yeah, I Rachel, will. Um, Rachel has an email too. Okay. You too with yeah. the links. Um, you can share that with your friends. And then, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll share a link too on social. But we're the awesome. Barclays on Apple Podcasts. We're the Barclays. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks, Neil. Thank you.